Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Great pleasure to be with you as always. And um, let's do a quick uh, reset during the week. You can get it all on Fox Business Network, Fox Business Network. Name of the show is Kudlow. Plays 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. If you can't make it at 4, why then you can just text your favorite 9-year-old and she will show you how to DVR the show. Uh, you could also get us, there's a second run, an encore at 7 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. And right here, you can hear us on the Internet, live streaming, LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com. So we will run through the country, around the world, throughout the solar system, and the Milky Way. So we have um, we have plenty to talk about today. And I'm going to focus on uh, the events, <laughs> the Biden scandals. It won't go away. Uh, Democrats can't ri- get rid of it. Joe Biden's in denial about it. But we had some earth-shattering events last week, and we're going to get some more major events this coming week. Uh, Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's best friend, or was his best friend, his partner in all these uh, international business dealings, these phony, these phony companies with China and Ukraine, and um, Romania, probably Russia, and uh, people were talking about Kazakhstan. Anyway, Devin Archer is going to appear before the House Oversight Committee on Monday, Chairman Jamie Comer presiding, and uh, this guy may blow the lid off everything because he knows everything. I mean, he started these phony companies, he was involved every step of the way. He was close to Joe Biden, as I say, he was Hunter's best friend, or he used to be. Uh, he himself has gotten, I think uh, he's going to go to the pokey for a year or so uh, because of, um, I think, foreign uh, registration problems and um, some kind of money laundering. But the point is he's going to testify and talk about the business dealings of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. So that's going to be a big event. Uh, We're going to talk about all this at the half hour with my great friend, the incomparable Claudia Tenney uh, from upstate New York. She's going to talk about that. She's a brilliant woman. But I want to talk about the trial, the Hunter Biden trial in Wilmington, Delaware, which blew up. It just blew up. And it's so interesting because they tried to pull a fast one. And what looked like a routine 
trial a routine decision on this sweetheart plea bargain deal between Hunter Biden and U.S. Attorney Weiss, representing Merrick Garland and the Justice Department, representing Joe Biden, okay? And it was very interesting. We had on the show Senator Tom Cotton. This was, I guess, Wednesday night. Uh, and we talked about this briefly. But um, it was Cotton who was really the first guy who simply said, look, this deal between Hunter Biden and the Justice Department uh, about tax evasion and, uh, and uh, gun, a gun felony, if you look at the fine print of the deal, which no one wanted to look at, which no one really knew about, which the judge really didn't know about until just before the trial, he was given, Hunter Biden would have been given total immunity for all past crimes. And that's what blew up the plea deal. It wasn't so much that the judge rejected it. It was that the U.S. attorney finally admitted they couldn't guarantee it. They couldn't guarantee the total immunity. And so when Hunter Biden and his lawyers heard that, well, they just freaked out and um, said, no, we can't do this. And he winds up changing his plea from guilty to not guilty. Well, yeah, but the point is he would have been given blanket immunity for all past crimes, okay? Now, that's really something. And one point that Senator Tom Cotton made, which has been made subsequently, is that, um, in effect, the Justice Department and the defense team, Hunter Biden's defense team, in their negotiations... Uh, before they came to court for the approval of the judge. Of course, they didn't get it. They were not adversaries. There was no adversarial legal relationship. They were co-conspirators. That's the point that Senator Tom Cotton made. I want to reiterate that point a hundred times because it just shows you the politicalization and the weaponization of the Joe Biden, Merrick Garland Jack Smith Justice Department, and uh, in this case, the uh, lawyer Weiss, the U.S. Attorney Weiss. So, no blanket immunity. Now, the judge, uh, Noriega, uh, sent them back for a couple of weeks. I think they're due to report back in a month to see what will come of it. But the blanket immunity part was stuck in the fine print of the so-called diversion where Hunter had an illegal gun because of his narcotics use and the diversion play was, well, if he stays sober, it'll just be a misdemeanor, not a felony, and he won't go to jail. Okay, that's where it was stuck in, and it was a blanket immunity. So what does that mean? Well, a blanket immunity would have meant that it ruled out any prosecution of Hunter Biden's influence peddling or pay-to-play transactions with these various, you know, evildoers, China, 
Ukraine, Romania, Russia, Kazakhstan, and so forth. It would have ruled out any discussion of that because the hook here was Hunter Biden's failure to register as a foreign agent. And that foreign agent registration, of course, or that foreign agent operations is ties him to the investment deals, uh, particularly China and particularly Ukraine and Burisma. Burisma, of course, you know, $83,000 a month, but uh, the allegation is $5 million bucks to Joe Biden and $5 million bucks to Hunter Biden in order to get rid of this prosecutor in the Ukraine. So people didn't know that, but that's where it was stuck in there. The judge discovered that and said, well, wait a minute. Hang on a second. This isn't cricket. Moreover, it would have been the judge who would have been the, I guess, enforcer of any of these measures, statements, allegations. And she didn't want that role. That's unconstitutional. That's supposed to be up to the Justice Department. And meanwhile, the Justice Department people said, well, we don't exactly. And here, the judge, Noriega, said, was this constitutional? You're supposed to do this. And then they couldn't come up with a reason. She said, is there any precedent for this kind of deal uh, where a judge is the enforcer? And they said, well, actually, no. There's no constitutional principle here. And then the Justice Department people said, well, we still have an open investigation. But the Hunter Biden defense team is saying, no, you don't. You're granting us immunity. So which is it? Well, if the judge had signed off on the deal, it would have been total global immunity, blanket immunity, total immunity. Uh, But there was no agreement about that, as it turns out. I mean, there was on paper, but actually there wasn't. So this was an incredible, phony deal and would have ruled out any further investigations of all of this money laundering, influence peddling, bribery, uh, and so forth and so on. So that blew up. And that means, I mean, this is a gi- was a gigantic measure, but that means that now they have to go back to the drawing board. I don't believe there'll be global immunity, and that means future investigations will be permitted, okay? And that's a good thing, but that is not what Hunter Biden bargained for. That is not what Joe Biden expected. He figured they'd work it out. Well, it turns out it was wrong. They figured incorrectly. And that's a very, very important thing. It, it, it will stretch, folks. These investigations uh, probably will not come from the Justice Department because it's totally politicized. But they will come from the House Oversight Committee, and they will also come from the Ways and Means Tax Writing Committee, because they have an oversight, uh, which Claudia Tenney is on. And it will come from the uh, Judiciary Committee. Jim Jordan is the chairman. 
Had this deal gone through, well, they would have said, no, we can't discuss this anymore, you can't discuss this anymore. But of course they can. Of course they can. Congress is an equal branch in the government, and they will continue. So I would just suggest how important that whole story is. Now, related to that, related to that, is the impeachment problem. All right? All of a sudden... House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is making bold statements last week that it's time to begin the impeachment process, an impeachment uh, process, and uh, that is going to open up the door because that's the only way they believe they can actually get, that is the only way they believe they can actually get the facts from this case. So the impeachment inquiry begins. Uh, We'll talk some more about that. But my point here right at the open is this trial blew up. And this trial now, I think, will erase the idea of total immunity and opens the door to continued investigations. And what's happening here is, folks, the noose is tightening around Joe Biden. The noose is tightening, and the walls are closing, and although the allegations are still allegations, the evidence is piling up. And uh, wait for Monday with Devin Archer, formerly Hunter Biden's best pal. When he testifies, I think all hell is going to break loose. He may blow the lid off of the entire investigation of Joe and Hunter Biden's criminal schemes to get them rich. Let's take a break here. I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll be right back after this word. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. Larry Kudlow. Um, I want to switch gears from the uh, Biden scandals, which we will pick up in a few moments with uh, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. But, you know, this week, this past week, there they go again. The Biden administration, in the name of climate, right, climate warming and all that, ruled out another popular uh, household appliance uh, taking away our creature comforts. You know, this is America. We have the best lifestyle of any country in the world in history. And these guys want to take away our creature comforts. The latest one was water heaters. No water heaters. So what does that mean? Well, get ready for a cold shower. I hope you all get a cold shower in the morning. No more hot water. No more water heater. Now, this is not new. We counted 19 appliances that Joe Biden has ruled out. Are you ready for this? I hope I get them in. I need an hour. No, I'll try to do it quickly. We've gotten rid of gas stoves, shower heads, air conditioners, 
toilet flushing, light bulbs, gas-powered cars, cold-fired ovens for pizza, washer and dryer machines, dishwashers, mobile homes, refrigerators, microwaves, gas furnaces, pool pumps, battery chargers, dehumidifiers, and ceiling fans. It's like all your creature comforts. In the name of climate change, with an accompanying statement with the most bogus, I don't know, 30 to 50 year estimates of how much this would save. I'll tell you what it would save. It would probably save about one quarter of a Chinese coal mine, a newly built Chinese coal mine. You know, the USA is the lowest carbon emitter of any significant country in the world. And our lead in carbon reduction continues. Nobody's even close. Uh, you know, you want to worry about you want to worry about coal-fired pizza or wood-fired pizza, go to China. China is breaking every climate rule. China just pulled out of the goofy Paris climate accords. Just pulled out of them. Donald Trump pulled out of them a couple years ago, smart guy that he is. And then, of course, Joe Biden and his crazy Green New Deal climate people restored it. But we didn't even need it. You know, we make the cleanest natural gas. We make the cleanest oil. We make the cleanest coal. The cleanest fossil fuels. And yes, we have renewables. On a market basis, wind and solar power uh, power makes sense in some cases, but not with all these crazy subsidies that are bloating the economy. But my point is, they want us to be like Europe. Ever take a shower in Europe? not an easy thing to do. Give me back my creature comfort. Stop jamming down my throat all these crazy, crazy regulations and central planning and Soviet-style policies. I'm sick to death of it. Claudia Tenney, up next on The Scandals. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We are going to bring in the incomparable Congresswoman Claudia Tenney from upstate New York, member of the Ways and Means uh, Committee and the Oversight Subcommittee. You know, Claudia, before I get into the heavy-duty stuff, I just want to thank you for your uh, great appearances on the TV show. We are the highest-rated business show in all of cable TV, and your ratings are unbelievable. You have a cult following. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, wow. Thank you so much. I mean, <laughs> obviously, I've, I've always been a Larry Kudlow fan. Then you went to the White House. Now you have this amazing show, and you tell it like it is. And uh, I, that's, uh, that's how my family is. So I, I'm uh, honored to hear that. But yeah, no, uh, no, you're, you're it's an honor to be on. Great to be on. And thank you for helping us on Saturday. We appreciate that. Claudia, i got a bunch of things for you. I just want to start with the blow-up of the trial in Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, They tried for blanket immunity 
And the judge said, no way. Now, we don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to bet whatever it turns out, there's not going to be blank. Blanket immunity would have stopped any further investigations going back to all of the influence peddling and the bribery and the money laundering and whatnot. What do you think about this? This is a big blow, I think, against the Biden family. I agree. And I think that was the mission of the DOJ in cahoots with Biden's team, which is or Joe Hunter Biden in this case, which is completely inappropriate under the legal system. The Department of Justice is supposed to represent the American people. They're not supposed to protect the Bidens. And the blanket immunity would have really just stopped that whole whistleblower issue as well, which is where a lot of this testimony came together to link the suspicious activity reports that James Comer found to link the uh, the FBI informant document that Senator Grassley uh, un- un- unveiled. I mean, these are important parts of the puzzle that we're putting together because we have oversight over this in the House and we have a slim majority as Republicans. Had we not had any of this majority, none of this would be known to anyone. Mm-hmm. And Jason Smith actually did all of this in a bipartisan way. Remember, the Democrats were involved in this whole whistleblower issue. They're, they created a portal. The whistleblowers came forward. They said, "We this is just too much for even there, us. They were, one even said he was a Democrat. They were not political. They were solid, professional, well-respected people. They came through the portal, and all of this was released. And once we noticed that it was going to be released the following week, they hurried in a plea deal, including a, you know, a plea down of a gun charge for Hunter Biden was part of that. Now, so this is what I think uh, the judge triggered. You're pleading down a, a, a gun charge. There was never a, a gun charge in the first place, though there should have been. You can't plea to a lesser charge when there wasn't a charge brought. So I think that's part of it. And also the whistleblower testimony that was part of the federal record, it was uploaded on the federal site as part of the case, uh, was taken down because of a phone call right. allegedly by, right. by uh, Jason Smith's counsel. And they found out that it was actually Hunter Biden's lawyer manipulating and deceiving the court. And I think all these together got that the judge realized, wow, this is dirty. This is wrong. And that's why she said, we're not, I'm not accepting this. You go back and, and we're going to have time to get more evidence, which, by the way, is what the Democrats, even the ranker on the Democrats side of the Ways and Means Committee said, we need to do more investigation. We need to see more. We need, and, and they admitted that in public statements. So, yes, we do. We need to put all these parts of the puzzle together. And I think if we do, I think it's going to be really hard for Democrats not to, especially in the Senate, to not see some kind of impeachment of Joe Biden when we put the link together uh, with Hunter and Joe. I want to get to the impeachment inquiry stuff uh, in just a little bit. But on this trial, that was an amicus brief that was filed, and they took it down. I'm sure the judge saw that. But, you know, this blanket immunity stuff was hidden inside the, you know, gun diversification thing. That's, they hid it in there. And then it, the judge read it and said, well, what's this? And then they wanted the judge to enforce it. And she said, well, I, I'm not the enforcer. It should be the Justice Department. But Claudia Tenney, Senator Cotton said it first on our show Wednesday night. He said the negotiations between justice, the prosecutors, and the Hunter Biden defendants, uh, they were not adversarial. They were conspiratorial. And exactly. I think that, that's you know, exactly it. That's that's the politicalization 
of this Justice Department. That's the double standard here, is it not? Absolutely. And that's the whole point is, look, Joe Biden gets to pick the attorney general. He picked he picked Merrick Garland, who oversees this. At that point, you you take an oath of office to represent the American people, not Joe Biden and his family. And that's been breached. And that's what's actually so interesting that's been revealed. Now, Larry, you know, this is not the first time this has happened. This happens a lot, especially when we have these politicized agencies. Hmm. And that's why people have lost faith in these very powerful agencies. And that's why they have lost faith. And they see all these charges uh, coming down against President Trump. This is why I think a lot of people say, you know what, we need a special counsel on this situation with Hunter and Joe and the connection. And as I keep saying on your show, and I've said that everywhere I, I go, there would be no Hunter Biden on the Burisma board. There would be no Hunter Biden making deals with China and the Romanians and these corrupt entities if Joe Biden hadn't been a career politician who used his son as a proxy to enrich himself and get the money through the channels, through his son. That's who the big guy is. we got to get the money to the Bidens. And, I mean, otherwise there's no influence peddling. Where is it coming from? It's not Hunter Biden. Trust me, I don't even think Hunter Biden's doing those paintings. Do you? <laughs> I think that's all. I think that's a money laundering scheme. It's like, I, I, I mean, come on, look, is it really look, doing the paintings, or are they getting look, the? Oh, we did a beautiful painting from Hunter Biden, and somebody spends a half a million dollars on it. This is more another way to get money to the Bidens, and and they do it in plain sight, which is what I find astounding and, and, and obnoxious. And and the buyers and the and the buyers are uh, Biden donors or Biden allies. That's all right. We're dog. We're dog people too. I understand. All of <laughs> He's all of a sudden. We got a. We got a little. Uh, we got some animal activity outside. So. <laughs> okay. That's um, uh, Claudia, as a as a lawyer, as an attorney, don't. Why can't the? And shouldn't they just have an open trial, a, a trial in Wilmington, open to the public, which will unlock all of these issues, including all these foreign entanglements and these phony foreign. Uh, investment companies they set up? I mean, a trial seems to me to be the right way. They should have done it in the first place. Absolutely. Well, we are all entitled to a public trial. <laughs> that's that's part of our Constitution. So you can even do a divorce trial that's public, I mean, in mm. front of a jury, believe mm. it or not. So mm. those are things, yeah, it should be a public trial. That's so the, so the world can see it. Because you know what's wrong, Larry? I was watching a, a split screen the other day. And, and uh, one of the competing stations uh, to Fox and, uh, and uh, Fox Business had an hour and a half straight of Trump. They didn't even cover any of the Hunter Biden stuff. They didn't cover the aliens on the Hill, you know, the UFO stuff. They didn't cover anything. Mm-hmm. It was Trump for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem is the American people aren't getting the truth. And I think that's why, to me, the impeachment is going to be important, but also doing this trial with Hunter Biden to get the evidence out so people can see the link. Who is the big guy? we got Tony Bobolinsky, who said he was the big guy. We've got Devin Archer testifying next week, who said Joe Biden was right there with Hunter. I mean, how you notice that Joe Biden's changed his tune. Remember, he was saying, I have never talked with my son, hmm. which is now I have never done business with my son. Oh, except for that I flew my son on Air Force Two to meet with some Chinese business people. And two weeks later, there was a cash payment. Okay, nobody's buying that, but nobody knows about it unless we have a public trial and we have a media that's doing its job. Because, look, there's certain privileges given to media. They're supposed to inform the public. That's the fourth estate. 
that's what our system of government promises. And when the media is wearing a team jersey, in this case for the for the Democrats, and in this case the Department of Justice is huddling with a Democrat team jersey, the people aren't getting justice. They're not getting what they've actually signed on to as a, as a self-governing constitutional republic with checks and balances. Well, I'm doing my best. Night You're after night. Amazing, Larry. I'm doing my best. I loved it. I watched you yesterday. I saw you. You asked Scott Perry. I said, what about what Claudia Tenney said? I That's said, right. That. Yes, I quoted you. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you made a point. It was kind of a throwaway. You just did it again, but it's very important. You go in the public service for 50 or 60 years, you're not supposed to get rich. I'm sorry. You're not supposed to get yourself a three or four million dollar mansion on Rehoboth Beef, Beef Beach, or a three or four million dollar mansion in Wilmington, Delaware. I'm sorry. Where's that money coming from? I mean, you know, I went in. I've been in government twice in the executive branch. Last time, three years. We had to dip into our savings quite a bit. Uh, you know, we gave up a job and had to dip into our savings, and we lost money. Somehow, Joe Biden has come out of this a rich man with a vast estate and a huge investment portfolio, I'm told, of $25 million. That's a point you made, and I think that's a really important point. It, it is. Look, just like you, I mean, it, I'm not saying that the members of Congress uh, and, and Senate and uh, in government, they make very good salaries, more than most of the American people make. Mm-hmm. But I think people don't understand that not the kind of money that would enable to you, you, for you to live wealthy unless – your influence peddling, unless you're using that position. And what's interesting is people will retire from the job and go and, you know, go back and maybe lobby, and that's one thing. Mm. But while you're in the job and you're using your family, Mm. that's what the influence peddling is. That's what's illegal. That's what the people need to see the difference. I mean, look, you know, people leave and they go work somewhere else. They've got an insight and expertise after working in government, or they come to government as a former military person or a business owner like me. And they, they're supposed to add what, they, what their expertise is, you know, the Jeffersonian ideal. They're not supposed to come in and use government to enrich themselves. Mm. And that's exactly what Joe Biden has done over 50 years. All right. Claudia Tenney, the incomparable Claudia Tenney, hang on. I want to talk about the impeachment inquiry, and I want to talk about Devin Archer. I've got to take a very quick break. Folks, we're talking to Congressman Claudia Tenney from upstate New York member of the Ways and Means Committee and its Oversight Subcommittee. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow on 77 WABC. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking with the incomparable Congressman Claudia Tenney from upstate New York, member of the Ways and Means Committee and its Oversight Committee. Claudia, Devin Archer, uh, Hunter Biden's best friend, or used to be, is going to testify on Monday before uh, Jamie Comer's Oversight Committee. He could blow the lid off everything. I mean, this guy was involved in every phony investment fund, all the LLCs, including, I suspect, not just the influence peddling pay-for-play, but even the uh, Joe Biden uh, bribery or coercion. What do you make of that? What are you thinking? What's the scuttlebutt on this testimony? Well, if he actually does do that, he's probably going to be in the witness protection plan. 
it's not going to be uh, – it really will put the link together. Uh, and we're hoping that he does reveal the truth. I mean, he apparently says that Joe has sat in on dozens of interviews and dozens of meetings. We've got – you've seen the pictures of Joe golfing with the, the uh, Hunter's business partners. And remember something else that, that uh, Hunter – you know, they always dismiss Hunter, which is what I thought the judge would do. I thought she'd, you know, accept the plea deal, and then they'd come out with this statement and say, "Oh, you know, Hunter's going to, re- re- you know, reform himself, and it's just a father's love for his his son, and blah blah." That's what they were. I, I thought for sure that's how it was going to end. I was not. I, I just never thought I'd see what was going to happen. But are we going to believe that this laptop that the FBI had from 2019, and that again the DOJ FBI allowed 51 former intelligence agents to come and just dismiss it as, as uh, Russian disinformation and have the FBI shut down the New York Post and, and major publications from revealing what's in the laptop. And now we know from all these text messages that we know they're valid. I mean, look, Hunter's daughter actually, you know, the Hunter in an in a exchange with his daughter, he's saying, don't worry he says to his daughter, unlike Pop, I won't make you give me half your salary, mm. you know, as right. the money's being exchanged. are these, I mean, when is this explosive testimony going to come out? It's showing that in, as soon as Joe and Jill left the, white, uh, the vice president's uh, residence, they made $11 million. Like, that's cashing in. Now, granted, at that moment, they were private citizens, but this is continuing, and it was continu- it was happening while he was vice president and while he was senator. So, those are the things that we'd like to see in that public trial. And it'd be interesting if Devin Archer can put even more, uh, you know, uh, dot more I's and cross more T's on all the evidence we already have, including what the FBI informant said, uh, all this stuff. I mean, you have all these um, bank accounts that were uncovered, these suspicious uh, report bank accounts uh, that went into the LLCs. Uh, I would think Devin Archer was in the middle of all that. He formed many of these LLCs, and uh, oh, right. I think he Absolutely. was the arch- he was he was one of the architects of the you know payment fraud uh, for these LLCs that eventually got to Joe Biden. I mean, if that stuff comes out, it can blow the lid off this. Absolutely, there's something like 20 different entities, and even uh, I can't remember the name of the witness who said that it was so complicated that. You needed to track yeah. through all this, and it was intentionally complicated. If you're operating above board, you're not going to be uh, creating 20 entities. You're trying to figure a way to confuse and conflate the truth and actually you know, put the IRS and gum them up a bit. But remember, the DOJ put the brakes. The Department of Justice put the brakes on the whistleblowers when they were trying to get evidence that was in the so-called uh, storage container in Virginia when they said, oh, we better not do that, you know, we don't really want to do that. They communicated, Leslie Wolf, uh, the, you know, the U.S. attorney or assistant U.S. attorney, communicated with the Biden transition team and, all, you know, gave them a, head, a heads up. Mm-hmm. So all this stuff is happening. Again, it's this dirty DOJ. Merrick Garland's a dirty cop. He supervises all this. He's got to go, too. Yeah, I love that, the dirty cop. You're exactly right. Um, Claudia Tenney, talk to us about the impeachment uh, inquiries that uh, Kevin McCarthy has now supported. He's very dramatic, and he spoke about it. And he, he actually had a press. He mentioned it on Sean Hannity's show, but he also had a presser later in the week. So it seems like he is very committed to this. Can you walk us through this process? 
Well, you know, he wants to do something called an inquiry. Uh, technically, I mean, it, I think you, you kind of have to call it what it is. It's an impeachment, and you could maybe have preliminary testimony and information. But I'd like us to see the full-blown impeachment, which gets us all the tools we need to do uh, effective discovery, effective witness subpoenaing, and everything we need to actually prove the case. Uh, but remember, so now that this judge has an app- approved this plea deal, uh, they're, and they're claiming there's ongoing investigations, DOJ, the Department of Justice, is going to use this as an excuse to say they don't have to come up with more information. So we're in a little bit of a, I mean, it was, it was a double-edged sword uh, with what would happened in that court, but it was intentional. They came up with this plea deal to try to get rid of this thing, and it didn't happen. Um, I do think Joe Biden is in trouble. I do think that, you know, what happens to Hunter is ultimately going to be whether Joe throws his own son under the bus, which... Mm. He may have to do, or does Joe actually just decide not to become the presidential nominee and make this go away for the Democrats? Mm. We'll wait and see. He's got a lot of arrogance. I mean, this he, we'll see. You know, I, I call it the arrogance before the fall, and maybe maybe he will go too far. I mean, he's proven that you know he can't seem to stop his lust for enriching himself. So we'll see. Would impeachment have um, authority over the Justice Department if the Justice Department uh, stonewalls? Uh, can impeachment overcome that? Well, so uh, impeachment is the process to, in the House, we're basically like the grand jury, and then the trial gets done in the Senate. The Mm. question is, will the Senate do the trial to remove, if it's ultimately Joe Biden, him from office? The charges in in the federal court are on Hunter Biden. We haven't even brought, Joe hasn't even been brought into this yet. So that's where I think all this investigation will lead us to evidence that could be sent for a referral. Now, I've done referrals before. Back in my first term, uh, we sent referrals over to then Attorney General Jeff Session on Hillary Clinton, Lisa Page, Peter Strzok, James Comey, hmm. uh, uh, McCabe, uh, Loretta Lynch, all of them. What we saw were bright line violations of federal law, and we referred that we, we actually wrote it out, if you will, in CRAN, make it really hmm. simple. And said, these are the violations we think that uh, occurred. This is the statute violated. Go prosecute. And nothing happened. Mm. So, uh, you know, again, a referral. There were referrals when Daryl Issa uh, did his uh, famous oversight investigation and no one ever did anything. You know, they did mm. the DOJ and none of them, uh, never, none of them ever prosecuted. Of course, you had Obama and, the, and, and Biden in the White House. So mm. this is the problem with DOJ. You're getting to the heart of the matter. Why are we not prosecuting obvious criminals? Why are we trying to make every move that President Trump makes into a crime? And that's what people are seeing. And the final one is this um, FBI senior informant. There's a rumor going around. This is the guy that uh, said there's, um, what, 17 tapes, two with, uh, with Joe Biden, 15 with Hunter Biden. Uh, there's a rumor going around that people know who he is. You know anything about that? I've heard that. Uh, I don't know. I'd love to see if he would, if there are tapes, and I'm yeah. certain that would be very juicy to get those tapes out, and uh, <laughs> right. they'd probably be very damning. I might, I, I would guess. Yes, I would guess. All right, incomparable Claudia Tenney, Congresswoman. Thank you, Claudia. We appreciate it very, very much, folks. Quick break. Thanks. The other side of the break, going to talk about the economy. With uh, John, inflation seems to be coming down, stocks are going up. John Carney of Breitbart. Will help guide us through it. I'm Kudlow. Please stick around. Much more to come. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. 
going to talk about the economy. Looks like a soft landing with lower inflation, stock market up again. And we bring in our great pal John Carney, Breitbart News Editor, Economics and Finance, and co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest, which is a must-read daily. So, John, um, what if we aren't landing at all? <laughs> okay, I got it. Uh, reasonably g- good number. I mean, by the way, the Atlanta Fed had it. They had right on the money, 2.4% for GDP. I just want to note that uh, for future reference or past reference or something. But what's your take on this story? Because, um, let's see, I was off last night, uh, but um, Robert Heller was on, former Fed governor. He still sees a double-dip recession. The first dip was in uh, the first half of last year. He thinks third or fourth quarter, we're still in trouble. What do you think? I think we are still in trouble. Um, We're growing. Look, 2.4% growth in the second quarter, an acceleration from the already, you know, stronger than people thought it was going to be 2% in the first quarter, doesn't speak to me of an economy that's going to be able to bring inflation down from where it is, say, 3% now, Mm -hmm. really higher, 4%. if you look, you know, beyond the headlines, then I don't think we're going to get it down to 2% if we're growing at, you know, above trend. So what I think ends up happening is the Fed is going to realize that they're going to have to tighten more. That will push us into a recession. I don't, I can't, you know, does it happen third quarter? It doesn't look like it's happening to me in the third quarter. I went out to, you know, to see that to have a bite to eat the other night and the restaurant was packed. You know, people are out, they're spending money. Airplanes are packed. People are on vacation. Can't get hold of anybody, you know, because they're all traveling. Uh, so I don't think I don't think we have a, a third quarter recession. Maybe fourth, but I'm really looking into the beginning of next year. When, frankly, I think people are going. That's around when the extra stimulus money will probably run out. People forget that we that if you look at uh, and this is not my calculation. It's Bank of America's analysts said they think that we have about eight more months of excess savings from the stimulus from the various stimulus packages still to work its way through the system so we may not actually see the recession until maybe second quarter of next year you know that's an interesting point um there's a lot of money was thrown uh at the semiconductor industry and then you have all this climate change money being thrown at various uh you know wind and solar and whatnot uh Business equipment, which is a very important indicator, okay, that's building capital uh, for future growth and worker wages. Business equipment, as you know, is up 10.8% in the second quarter, right? That's a big number. But what's so odd, John, is that in Q1 it was minus 8.9, and in Q4 it was minus 3.5. So you see this big bulge in business equipment, and it kind of makes me think that's reflecting, uh, you know, one-time government assistance. I guess a lot of it's semiconductors, but n- not all of it's semiconductors. Uh, there may be some, I don't know, infrastructure money in there. There may be some climate change money in there. What you think? Yeah, I think there's a lot of climate change money in there. Remember, in the Biden administration's head, this are all mixed up together. We say infrastructure, we mean roads, bridges, that sort of thing. 
They mean let's build, you know, Green New Deal type things. Right. So, so right. th- when they when they talk about infrastructure, they're not talking about traditional infrastructure. So yes, I do think there's a lot of that spending going on there. I do think that there was uh, there's some catch up that the business community was still doing when we started to reopen factories, um, reopen, uh, you know, even just home construction started to come back online. Uh, I think that you saw a lot of equipment upgrading going on. And that also is probably more of a one-time thing. I don't think we're going to see that in the third and fourth quarter. That this is a, Maybe we'll see it in the third quarter. But uh, that this is a, you know, a, a bit of a, a bubble in, in business equipment spending that, is, that we shouldn't expect to keep lasting, especially – if you look, um, you know, businesses are still not exactly, you know, they, they when you look at things like the Philly Fed manufacturing mm-hmm. survey, they say the economy still stinks, right? It's been negative for 11 months in a row. So it's hard to believe that they're spending because they're, you know, they're full of verve about how the economy is doing. It looks more like there's some, you know, one-time stimulus things happening for that category of spending. Yeah. Uh, manufacturing jobs have stopped growing. I mean, actually, government jobs are the biggest job creator. And you know what else in this report I was looking? After business equipment, John, 10.8, the next biggest uh, increase was government, 2.6% at an annual rate. And on a four-quarter change, government is 3.8%, which I'm looking is uh, not... It's 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 actually business equipment one point nine. The biggest one on a four quarter change is government spending. I mean, that's right. just... a, a lot <laughs> of that actually has to do with um, with frankly what's going on in Ukraine. We if you look at what's going on in uh, defense aircraft spending, we have uh-huh. actually spent a lot of money uh, to produce you know additional weapons for Ukraine. So that is part of what's happening there. Part of it, it's also the, I would call the government adjacent categories of spending. If you look at things like hiring in social services, those have actually been quite steep. Those are, again, not necessarily, I would call like economic jobs. They're jobs where people get hired into, even if they're not working directly for government, they're more or less working for government oh, programs when point. they're hiring into that. Yeah, that's a super point. Uh, social services, community services, healthcare services. So much of that is government uh, based. Uh, now, John Carney, uh, what's your assessment of these inflation numbers? So I think the you know it's it's always welcome to see inflation coming down, but I think people are getting ahead of themselves, thinking that we are on a downward track. Remember, we went inflation went way down last summer as well, and then mm. picked back up. I'm worried about that happening again, especially when we see the consumer numbers as strong as they are. We see Biden doing everything he can to prevent people from having to repay their student loans. A lot of people thought that was going to restart. It now looks like there's going to be enough give in the program that instead of everybody having to restart, you know, in August or September, it's probably going to be a 12-month runway, which Mm. means consumer spending stays high. The, you know, Mm. young people with student loans have a high propensity to spend that money. Mm. And, you know, they're not paying down their debts. They're actually, in some cases, borrowing more money because they don't have to pay back the money they already borrowed. And so I think that's going to support consumer spending in an inflationary way in the months ahead. One more, John. Gasoline prices nationwide back up to $3.75. West Texas crude, 80 bucks, and looks like it's heading higher. What do you make of that last 30 seconds? 
we had we had China had, grew much slower in the first half of the year than people thought it would. That kept down oil prices. China is now going to attempt to rev up its economy. That will push up oil prices. And so this is, you know, we're probably faced with this for the you know next six months, at least $80 or higher. All right. John Carney of Breitbart, the Great Business Digest every day, folks. It's a must read. Thank you, John. We're going to take a quick break and then come back to uh, Attorney Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst. I want to talk about the Trump side of the scandals. There's some new stuff going on there. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show on 77 WABC. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. So, just one day after the Delaware, Wilmington, Delaware, Hunter Biden plea bargain blows up, just one day later, the um, Merrick Garland special counsel, Jack Smith, who's overseeing the Donald Trump issues in Mar-a-Lago on January 6th, just the very next day, he announces uh, a a bunch of new uh, indictments regarding uh, Trump and his uh, classified documents. I'm sure that was just a coincidence, had nothing to do with trying to get Hunter Biden off the front pages. But then again, I could be wrong. Uh, we're going to bring in Greg Jarrett, who knows much more about this than I do. He's Fox News legal analyst and uh, New York Times bestselling author of the latest book, Trial of the Century. You've heard me talk about how great it is, Clarence Darrow and uh, William Jennings Bryan and the Scopes Monkey Trial. Uh, Greg, I just thought it was a coincidence that the next day, after the Wilmington trial blew up, Jack Smith comes out. But now, what what is this all about? He's he's found a, a maintenance guy, property manager, and the allegation is that Trump wanted to erase the tapes. What do you make of this? Well, you're right. I don't believe in coincidences. So every time there is damaging information about Joe and Hunter Biden, uh, you know, The DOJ, the FBI, the special counsel try to shift the attention to something else. And that's what they did this week. But, you know, if you read these additional three counts, they're problematic for prosecutors. A lot of it is based on multiple hearsay, which is unreliable and therefore inadmissible. You know, person A hears from person B who spoke to Trump, who's person C, wow. that's triple hearsay, right. that's inadmissible. So, you know, they're going to have a challenge trying to get some of that information in. And a lot of it is based on sort of assumptions that the special counsel is making. That's another problem. Is this going to prolong the trial, though? I mean, more witnesses, more discovery, get it past yeah. the election? Well, you know, if I were the judge, I'd be outraged. I mean, they already had a scheduling conference prior to Jack Smith's special counsel suddenly and and magically, you know, uh, adding a a superseding indictment. Uh, So, sure. I mean, the judge could absolutely say that the May trial of next year now has to incur further delays because you've got to be fair to the defendant and allow him additional time and discovery uh, to counter these charges against him. That's his right. And so, you know, yeah, this could delay it. The other 
question, uh, Greg, is uh, we we keep hearing rumors, but we don't get it that they're going to bring an indictment to, on Trump regarding the January 6th, I'll just call it the January 6th business. Um, Trump's lawyers met again with Jack Smith's people this week. Uh, Mr. Trump posted something on Truth Social that said nothing's happening, but everybody thinks an indictment is coming. you have any insight into that? I suspect an indictment is coming and that it was a, you know, fool's errand, frankly, for the defense attorney to try to uh, convince Jack Smith otherwise. I mean, this is a guy who has an abysmal track record of bringing uh, politically driven cases for which he's been, you know, spanked by higher courts, including a reversal by the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously. Uh, you know, he he can't charge Trump with inciting violence or seditious conspiracy based on his speech, uh, because the speech uh, didn't encourage imminent lawless action, which is the constitutional and legal standard. Looks like he's focusing on, you know, conspiracy to defraud the government, which is knowingly false and deceitful interference in an election. But the law requires that. What does that mean? I know I've heard that. You've said it. Some other people have said it on the TV show. How does Trump love the government? You know, if Trump truly believed uh, that he won the election and pursued a legal course of action under the Electoral Count Act to challenge the certification of electors on January 6th, Hmm. um, he is entitled to do that. Uh, I mean, read the Electoral Count Act. Uh, Democrats did four years earlier in 2016, uh, and they, too, challenged the seating of Donald Trump as president in favor of Hillary Clinton. Hillary and Nancy Pelosi uh, said, oh, the, the election was stolen and it was rigged. Same thing that Donald Trump did. Uh, you can't have it both ways. It's okay for Democrats to do it, but not for Republicans. I mean, I think, look, I never really talked to Trump about this stuff. Uh, but people who did, people I respect, honest people, say he truly believed he won the election. Yeah. Now, what's wrong with that? <laughs> okay, it, he believed it, that. And he's running again, to some extent, Greg, you know, to prove that he won the election or should have won the election. I mean, to some extent, that's what this candidacy is about. So what's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you're you're entitled to be wrong under our uh, criminal codes. Uh, And, you know, you're entitled under the First Amendment to express wrongful beliefs. Mm. Uh, That ain't a crime. Um, And as I say, if he believed he won and he used the legal process to challenge it, on January 6th, just as Democrats did, that's not fraud. It's not conspiracy to defraud the government because it's not deceit, craft, trickery, and dishonesty, which the law demands upon proof. Oh, I see. Okay, I got it. Right. Um, Last one, last minute or so, Greg. Um, uh, Should Judge Noriega just have an ordinary public trial for Hunter Biden uh, after this sweetheart uh, plea deal blew up? I mean, really? No, 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 no more hidden um, 
uh, you know, blanket immunity. How about a trial, for heaven's sakes? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I think she's wised up. What I worry about, though, is that privately the prosecutors, who are obviously in bed with Hunter mm. Biden and his lawyers, mm. they're acting as his BFF, will say, look, we'll, re- we'll remove the blanket immunity clause But secretly and privately and confidentially, we will assure you we're giving you the equivalent of immunity. We're going to close up the files. There'll be no further charges. And they have to do that not to protect Hunter Biden, but to protect Joe Biden, because the evidence is incriminating that he was complicit in his son's multi-million dollar international influence peddling schemes. That's exactly the way I see it, you know. Uh, the whole issue of the foreign registration or whatever that thing's called, FARA, I mean, that opens the door to a discussion about all these pay-for-play influence peddling deals with China and Ukraine and Romania and so forth and so on. I mean, that's what it'll do, and they want to stop that. And that goes right yep. to Joe Biden. Anyway, Greg, Greg Jarrett, best of the best, Fox News Legal Act. Please read his book, folks, Trial of the Century. Fascinating. William James Bryan versus Clarence Darrow. I'm Cudlow. We got Bob Heller, former Fed governor, on the other side of the break. He sees a double dip recession. We'll be right back. Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. So the question again before the House, to be or not to be, to recession or not to recession, as we talked with uh, Breitbart's John Carney earlier in the show, the latest GDP number, 2.4% at an annual rate, uh, suggests that the long-awaited, long-heralded recession uh, is not here. But we did have a we did have a two straight quarters of declining GDP uh, in the first half of last year, so that may wind up being labeled a recession. The question is: Is there a double dip? And there's nobody better. Robert Heller, old friend, former Federal Reserve Governor, former President and CEO of Visa. Uh, Bob Heller, I was uh, not on the show last night. I kind of had a mean sinus infection, so I took the day off. Uh, but I know you were, and I'm sure somebody asked you about the, uh, the double-dip recession because that was the original reason we wanted you to come on. So my question is, what did you tell them, and are we going to have a double-dip recession? Well, I think uh, we have postponed the double-dip so far. Uh, monetary policy is still extremely restrictive. Money supply M2 is falling. The yield curve is inverted. The Fed funds rate is restrictive now. So the Federal Reserve has its foot on the brake at least slightly. Uh, on the other hand, what I did not anticipate is that fiscal policy would be as loose as it actually is. Mm. And, you know, we're running at the moment a GDP, I mean, a deficit, a federal deficit. In the neighborhood of 6% of GDP, uh, almost $2 trillion on an annual basis. And that puts more 
uh, more purchasing power into the economy, and therefore we don't see a decline in GDP yet. But it's postponed. Eventually, we got to pay the piper. You know, on that point, uh, Robert Heller, um, the budget deficit is gonna, is now ru- uh, running two point two five trillion for FY23. That's a CBO number. And spending is running 25, almost 26% of GDP. So that's an interesting point. A lot of these subsidies uh, coming into the economy from the uh, prior legislation, stuff like the semiconductor chip subsidies and various climate subsidies, um, could be adding temporary stimulus. That's what you're saying, I think. Exactly. And so, you know, eventually you've got to come back to normality where, where you have a balanced budget and you don't spend the, uh, the, the grandchildren's future uh, on, uh, on, on our well-being right now. So I think, you know, you mentioned M2, which is – and nobody talks about M2, hardly. I mean, you do. I do. Uh, there's a fellow out in California, Scott Granis, a very smart economist. He talks about M2. I mean, that thing has been plunging for, I don't know, just about two years. Uh, the inverted yield curve is very important. Wall Street is saying, Bob Heller, it's, this time it's different. The inverted yield curve doesn't matter. I, when I hear this time it's different, I know it's not different. And then the other one I would raise the index of leading indicators from the conference board is down 15 straight months. Now, doesn't that mean something? Well, clearly we see we, uh, we see uh, a contraction, for instance, in the interest rate sensitive sectors. Uh, construction is still uh, reasonably good, but housing sales are plunging. And uh, so you see in those sectors, you see already the pain that's there. And eventually, the high interest rates will take their toll on the economy, and that's when I see the slowdown and a possible mild recession. What's the uh, what's your timing on that? Third quarter, fourth quarter, next year? A little difficult to tell, given all these crosswinds. But uh, the end of the year, early next year. That's correct, Larry. Mm. You know, one last thing. It's interesting, almost as a sidebar, Bob, but. Um, I'm noticing that uh, commodity prices are starting to rise again, quite a bit, actually. The CRB, um, the Goldman Sachs Index, and energy prices are going up. Um, both crude oil and gasoline prices are going up. What do you think? That that could cut into purchasing power, but it could also add to top-line inflation. You're right on both points. And don't forget, gold has also been creeping gold. up. Yes. And the is dropping in world markets. So all these signs, they all point in the same direction. So you're sticking with the double-dip recession. Well, you know, I don't know how long you can call it double-dip, you know, but, uh, yes, I'm sticking to an economic slowdown late this year, early next year, and combined with last year's uh, decline, you can call it a double-dip spread over two years. I'm surprised that the National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER, hasn't made any comments about the two down quarters last year. Me too, you know, but they are always 
I think the NBER is a lagging indicator as far as the economy is concerned. They take their sweet time, and then eventually they prognosticate uh, what has been happening in the economy a long time before. All right, well, Robert Heller, former Federal Reserve governor, double-dip recession. I think um, the risk of that is still very, very high. Uh, one other thing, one other thing, the inverted yield curve. Um, the New York Fed model, the yield curve model from the New York Fed, uh, still shows a 70% chance of recession in the next year because of the inverted curve, Bob Heller. I almost forgot that. Well, that confirms what we've been talking about before. Uh, if is a reliable predictor of future recessions, it is inverted by 100 basis points at the present time. So that does not bode well for the future of economic growth. All right. Bob Heller, former Fed governor, thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Folks, we're going to take a break. And um, other side of the break, we're going to talk a little Let's see. We're going to talk a little politics, I think, with Mr. Joe Concha. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. So I want to just talk a little bit about this economic story because I think it's an overrated story. Uh, Joe Biden yesterday made this comment uh, go ahead and impeach me because inflation is coming down. <laughs> okay. Um, very cheeky, very clever, I suppose. But he's doing everything he can not to talk about all the mounting evidence with respect to all the influence peddling, uh, the m- money fraud, the bank fraud, the wire fraud, and um, the bribery issue uh, with Burisma, where he coerced, it is alleged, I might say, from FBI documents uh, that he coerced uh, the Burisma CEO into paying him five million bucks and his son five million bucks in order to get rid of this uh, Ukrainian prosecutor. That was Joe Biden coercing them, not Burisma coercing Biden or holding them up. Anyhow, on the inflation front, it's very true. I mean, factually, it is very true, and I believe in facts, that the inflation rate has come down. It has come down because the Federal Reserve has tightened policy enormously in the past year. The Fed was late to the party. They were in denial back in uh, 2021, right? Uh, Then it was temporary. Then it turns out it lasted another full year. Basically, these prices, the CPI, level of the CPI has gone up 16% since January of 2021. So the inflation story is still biting. Uh, the PCE deflator has gone up 13%. That's a, a Fed target. So it's not like inflation has disappeared. It has slowed. You're coming off a high base last year. That's part of these favorable comparisons. But again, prices that people pay for essential goods uh, have gone up, uh, as I said, 16% on the CPI. Think about that. Grocery prices uh, have gone up um, by nearly 20%, 20%. Energy prices have gone up uh, by over 30%. Uh, prices in those areas might be falling slightly, 
but the price is paid, if you will, and it's impacted their real wages. Real wages have improved in the last month, but for 25 prior months, real wages were falling. And that is why Joe Biden uh, gets such poor marks uh, on the economy. He's trying to sell something called Bidenomics, all right? No one's quite sure what Bidenomics are. We had uh, two down quarters in the economy last year, as Robert Heller pointed out. Uh, We've had some better growth, 2% growth in the last few quarters. But um, the outlook for the economy is not good. It's risky. And that's another point. And what is Bidenomics? It's just the best I can tell, in all honesty, it's just a lot of top-down government spending. I mean, we talked to uh, John Carney about the fact that it's government jobs or government-related jobs that are leading the way. That is not a sign of a healthy economy. It's government stimulus that is bloating some of these GDP reports. That's not a sign of a healthy economy. The way I look at it is Bidenomics, top-down, all this money going to uh, woke corporations, to climate change corporations, to democratic interest groups in the cities and around the country. Uh, This is just one big payoff. That's all it is. It's a big grift. It's vote buying, just as the student loan program uh, is vote buying. So um, even though I agree that factually the second quarter at 2.4 was okay, I mean, 2.4, by the way, I'd like to see 5 or 6% growth. Uh, 2.4 is still not a fabulous number, but it isn't a recession, no question about it. And the inflation rate has come down to about 4% uh, after peaking um, a year or so ago at over 9%. But 4% inflation is still difficult. And as I said, prices have risen significantly in the past couple of years by uh, 16%. So I think you still got a big problem. I think that's going to be a big issue, and I don't think uh, something called Bidenomics is going to help Joe Biden. And I also don't think these scandals are going to help Joe Biden. He's in complete denial about them. You know, Hunter Biden himself has now said that he got money from China. Joe Biden said earlier we didn't get any money from China. So, you know, the disputes, the uh, untruths going on here are incredible. Anyway, that said, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm Larry Kudlow. I'm Larry Kudlow. Oh, we do. We did. We found Joe Concha. Well, <laughs> all right. Joe Concha, my God. As I live there in There should Greece. not be traffic on a Saturday in a small suburban town, but <laughs> okay. they shut down this entire road, and I, and I, of course, the one time I don't have my phone on me, I didn't have it on me. So sorry about that, Larry. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad to hear. Uh, Joe Concha, Fox News contributor and uh, columnist now for The Messenger. So, Joe, I was reading your column, your latest column. Uh, the chances are excellent. This is what you're writing. The chances are excellent that McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, will launch an impeachment inquiry when Congress returns from its August recess. It may be warranted based on everything we're seeing and hearing and on the many unanswered questions. But you are concerned that the uh, mainstream media is just going to drown this out and the Republicans won't get any, uh, any yield from this impeachment inquiry. Tell us more. 
Well, we remember the January 6th hearings, right, going up into the midterms of 2022. And every station preempted all of their original programming just to carry those hearings. That will not happen here, Larry. As sure as you were born, that's not going to happen here. We already know this. We saw what happened with the whistleblower testimony last week. Two very credible people from the IRS, veterans of that agency, Shipley and Ziegler and Either it wasn't carried at all by CNN, MSNBC, wasn't reported on by ABC News on their evening newscast, or when they did talk about it, it was to dismiss it outright. This is a clown show, they called it. These people are not credible. These allegations, it's a witch hunt to try to take down the president through his son. This, this is just a dad who loves his son who had addiction to cocaine and alcohol. And you're like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> this is the biggest story of our lifetimes, Larry, right? I think, and I don't, I'm not a hyperbole guy. I think you know me. I don't speak in these soaring rhetoric types of things to draw headlines to myself. But when you consider that millions upon millions of dollars was profited by the Biden family, and it looks like, including Joe Biden, if we were to believe those whistleblowers, if we were to believe the fact that, gee, how did Joe Biden exactly afford a $3 million home on the beach the year after he left the vice presidency, when as vice president, you don't make a heck of a lot of money. I mean, you, you have a nice life, but you don't have a, I have a beach house life, right? That's a different kind of rich. And then he also has that multi-million dollar home in Wilmington, Delaware. How does he afford all these yeah. lavish luxury things? Well, maybe he's the big guy. Maybe mm-hmm. he's the guy who got 10% of millions and therefore profited off of energy companies based in China that are basically controlled by the CCP, meaning that we may have a president that is compromised by China. Maybe he's compromised by Ukraine. Perhaps that's why we're sending all those billions of billions over to that particular government uh, because they may have the goods on Hunter and therefore Joe Biden and many other countries as well. So that's bigger than Watergate, in my opinion. That's certainly bigger than Donald Trump telling Zelensky over in Ukraine, maybe you should investigate the Bidens. They're doing some shady stuff over there, and he gets impeached over that. So they should start impeachment. I think the problem is the media is not going to do any investigating on their own, and they're going to dismiss this, and they won't get a conviction in the Senate because you need two-thirds of that Senate that's controlled by Democrats, and that just ain't going to happen. So if you go through that whole process and there's no conviction, then what's the point, I guess, is my my, my open question. Well, let me go back. Um, I agree with you about the Senate, never get to the Senate. But um, the argument that McCarthy is making, we heard it earlier this morning from the great Claudia Tenney, Congresswoman from upstate New York, is that an impeachment hearing would give them access to a lot more evidence. Now, that may or may not be true because the Justice Department and the FBI seems to be stonewalling. But you have all these witnesses coming in. You mentioned the whistleblowers. Uh, I mean, you've got this guy, uh, Devin Archer, that's going to testify Monday uh, before the um, Oversight Committee, Jamie Comer's Oversight Committee. You know, he was Hunter's best friend. He set up a lot of these uh, phony companies, as you say, with the China CCP uh, and with Ukraine and whatnot. I mean, he could blow the lid off a lot of things. It may be that impeachment just kind of, I don't know, gives some kind of shout out. Or maybe, Joe, are there not enough conservative outlets to carry this story? I mean, I'm thinking of Fox News, which will cover a lot of this. Uh, You've got Newsmax. You've got a couple of others. I mean, it's a little different than it was a few years ago. Oh, it's a thousand percent different. And we're talking only like maybe 15 years ago. I think everything changed with the candidacy of Barack Obama. Then suddenly journalists wanted to be a part of history, which, no, 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 you're supposed to vet these people, and it has nothing to do with that. Actually, I could go all the way back to Woodward and Bernstein, where – 
they break open Watergate, and then suddenly they were celebrities, right? You got Redford and Hoffman playing them, right? And they're on the big screen. And I think a lot more journalists are like, wow, screw the Pulitzer, screw the Emmy. I want to be on Stephen Colbert's show so I could joke about Republicans. So, yeah, uh, that, that's the thing. I, I just don't think the coverage is, is going to be there. But maybe they don't even need to go through an impeachment inquiry because if you have these whistleblowers coming forward and Devin Archer blows the lid off of this, then maybe you just don't have to do it. I, I just think that it's like the Donald Trump rule. Remember when the Trump said, I could go out to Fifth Avenue, shoot someone, and my people will still support me? Um, you could have literally Joe Biden, right, uh, being handed uh, uh, cash right, in a suitcase from Zelensky himself, and Democrats still wouldn't vote for uh, to, to have him removed, right? And then, by the way, if we do get to that point, then guess what we have waiting on the other end? President Kamala Harris. And if that doesn't make you lose a lot of sleep, nothing does. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, how is Joe Biden handling this? He, he doesn't even want to deal with it. He just makes jokes about it now. And the whole Democratic Party is in denial that, as you say, I mean, this... This is, could be the biggest political story in American history. But uh, Biden Democrats won't face up to anything. Where does that lead them? That, 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 that means they stick together, I guess. And, and, and give Joe Biden, you know, some slack. I mean, he now has apparently a seventh grandchild that he's recognizing. And that, that takes a lot of effort and work and love. I, I'm sorry, can I just go off on that for a second? You go to People magazine and you say, no, actually, we really are looking out for our best interest. Okay, have her over to the White House tomorrow. Okay? Have her, have her over to the, the luxurious beach house. Take some pictures with her. Right? Call her every day. I mean, they're trying to make it go away, obviously. And I mean, it's the story, not, not obviously the poor little uh, four-year-old who, you know, her grandfather's a president of the United States, and now finally, four years later, she's being acknowledged. Uh, yeah, I, I just wonder what happens from here. Maybe Democrats do throw Biden overboard, and then they skip over Kamala. Like, you always go to the vice president, right? Uh, but they'll go right to Newsom. They'll go to Gavin Newsom because he's got great hair gel and a nice smile. Who cares about how he's running California? Boy, he looks good. The Ozark grandchild. That's what I call her, the Ozark. Uh, Joe Concha, folks, his book is Come On, Man, The Truth About Joe Biden's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Presidency, Fox News contributor. Thanks, Joe. Glad we caught up with you. Folks, we're going to take a break, and on the other side, we're going to do some stock market work. It's been a good stock market. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. By the way, join us during the week. Fox Business Network, the name of the show is Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. every day. If you can't make it at 4, you can text your favorite 9-year-old, and she'll show you how to DVR the show. Meanwhile, here you can live stream us on the Internet, LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com, running throughout the country, around the world, throughout the solar system and the Milky Way. And we're going to do some stock market work. The stock market has been doing very well. I'm hoping that all those middle-income people with uh, IRAs and 401Ks and retirement accounts are getting wealthier. I want the non-rich to get rich. The Dow is up 232. The NAS was up 284. The S&P 500 up 46. The S&P 500 is 45.82. Let's talk to our experts. 
Mr. David Bonson, the Bonson Group CIO, founder and managing partner, author of DividendCafe.com. And we have Jim LeCamp, Senior VP Investments at Morgan Stanley. Gentlemen, thank you uh, very much. David Bonson, um, price of gasoline is now $3.75. I didn't realize that. was a tweet from David Asman that I just saw back up to 375, so that's been moving higher. West Texas, uh, what is it, 80 bucks? Brent, 84 bucks. Those are moving higher. I know you like to watch the energy uh, sector. Energy was up one point. The S and P was up 1.7 percent uh, in the past week. What do you make of the energy story? Are we seeing a resurgence here? Well, we've definitely seen a a resurgence of the price of WTI over the last five weeks. It's up about $13 a barrel. But I think the bigger story than the fact that oil has moved back and forth between the mid to high 60s and the mid to high 70s all year is that they didn't buy any at the Strategic Petroleum Reserve when it was in the high 60s. And and I'm mystified by it. I, I do believe it's entirely possible that they're not going to refill it. And yet they have really put us in a precarious position by uh, pulling 180 million barrels last year. I think uh, there's something kind of skewed about during a midterm year uh, releasing all of that and then in a non-election year with oil prices much lower doing nothing. Yeah, absolutely right. I think how much they've depleted 35%, 40% of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. They're not going to fill it. I think at one point they said they'd fill it at 70, and they didn't. You're quite right. Uh, so now we're back to 80, and they still haven't. Maybe it'll go higher. Um, you know, I would say that if gas prices get, let's say, 4 bucks next year or more, I'd say they're going to um, drain that reserve even more, David. That's how cynical I am, and that's how cynical they are. They're just using it to control gasoline prices. It's all election play. Well, and the the issue, the thorn in the side is Saudi because OPEC Plus isn't putting up with it, and and they see exactly what's going on. And so, the un, unfortunately for the Biden administration, their attempts to politicize oil prices and use Strategic Petroleum Reserve, I think, cynically and against the best interests of the nation, they're up against a pretty powerful entity themselves, the cartel. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Jim LeCamp, you're in Texas. They have oil in Texas. What do you make of the oil situation and the oil play in the stock market? You have to be pretty bullish here. I mean, the other thing about the rig count is that it's down 13% from a year ago, yeah. uh, down to 664 uh, by the latest count. And if you talk to people in the industry, which I do all the time, uh, you, you see some activity increasing, but not near what you would expect with prices starting to rise again. And so I, I think this is really a matter of supply and demand. There's there's not enough investment in the oil patch. And, of course, oil investment has been pilloried uh, all over Wall Street. And uh, investment in fossil fuel companies has been uh, taboo. So uh, you, you've got um, a real lack of supply response here. And now you've got 
um, usage uh, increasing. And uh, look at the stocks, Larry, uh, for instance, Carnival Cruise Lines, Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. Look at the stocks of Marriott and all these travel-related stocks. And look at the pot, yeah, the, the uh, uh, amount of travelers that you see in Europe right now, in Italy right now. You're, you're seeing that people are using fossil fuels. And, and in fact, the, uh, the push to electric cars has, uh, has, not, uh, has not resulted in as much usage of electric cars as what anybody had projected. And, and even Ford is saying, uh, this is going to be delayed uh, to get to where we want to get. So we're using fossil fuels. We're using them a lot, uh, yet uh, we, we haven't seen the supply response. And what we're seeing now is a, a, an oil stock group that had really sold off and then based. They moved sideways for a while. Now they're, they're all coming out of those bases. You're seeing breakout in energy uh, stocks across the board. So I think it's a really uh, sharp, smart place for people to have exposure and, and reduce exposure maybe to some of these uh, tech names that have led the market all the way up until this point. Well, if those companies rally, the ESG crowd's going to go nuts. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they don't own them. <laughs> but you're getting a pushback on ESG. Uh, even yeah. even Larry Fink is trying to distance a little bit from yeah. ESG, and 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 they should be distancing because it's all subjective. There, there's and if you look at BlackRock, for example, and you look at their two their their big mutual funds. And you look at their core holdings on the U.S. large-cap core, and then you go to their ESG fund and look at their core holdings. It's all the same holdings, but the ESG fund has 200% higher expense ratios. So what is this really about? Is this really about our ability to charge more so we can uh, say that we're e- – because we're saying we're ESG? Or is it, is, is it, is it really altruistic? I, I really don't think it is. Heck yeah. No, you're, of course you're right. They might have charged more. Absolutely. Those ESGs have always been more expensive. David Bunsen, the broad theme looks to me uh, in this stock market rally. I mean, the, that, let's see, the S&P is up 19% for year to date. Um, lower inflation, higher stocks. Is that what's going on here? Well, I mean, to the extent that valuations, you know, P.E. expansion is over 100 percent of that move in the S&P. You have S&P up 19 and earnings down five. So it's pretty easy to do the math. You've got multiple expansion of about 25 percent. And is that a byproduct of lower inflation expectations? Um, yeah, I, I guess I suppose it is, except for the interesting thing, Larry, is the risk free rate hasn't moved down. You know, the the bond, the yield curve is still essentially where it was at the beginning of the year. Um, now, the difference is uh, inflation expectations and tips. The five-year is sitting around 2%. And, and I think that um, the reality is that we are ahead of our skis on, on this technology mm. stuff. It's just mm. extremely expensive. And we have people saying, oh, Microsoft, you know, did they have a bad quarter? They were down 3%. And I go, I don't know. They were up 70% the first Six months of the year, and you had you had Meta that was down seventy uh, percent last year, and then is up one hundred and forty percent this year. These are just insane volatilities, insane up and down movements. And and I do want to say real quick on your point about the ESG guys will go crazy if energy continues a good run and they don't own it. This isn't hypothetical, Larry. This is exactly what happened last year. Mm-hmm. Nasdaq down thirty four percent. 
FANG down 50%, ENERGY up 50%. Okay, that, that little party that the ESG crowd had when big tech was going up and energy was kind of having an adjustment, you know, back in uh, 2015, 16, et cetera, that party's over. The free Good. ride of virtue signaling is no longer paying. Couldn't happen to a nicer group, all those left-wing yeah. wokesters. I shed a tear, although Larry Fink is a very rich man. Uh, David, just one point on these multiples. Uh, the 10-year noticed 395. So, you know, that discount rate is rising. What does that mean? Well, I mean, again, you kind of have to look at uh, the the 10-year over a rolling period. It was at 350 for a short period of time, but it was at 420 for a short period of time. So it's still kind of sitting in this middle range. Um, now, you're right. It is up at 395 now, but just a few minutes ago, you know, I think it was six days ago, it was at 375. So, Bond volatility has been high. Bond volatility has not settled down, even as equities have rallied. Well, every volatility, I mean, I watched Jay Powell, for God's sakes. Um, how painful was that? I mean, really, just just say nothing. Say nothing. Volatility would go down. I mean, the market sold off 200 points at one. Guy utters one sentence, the Dow Jones goes down 200 points. So it's really, really quite remarkable. But you know, Larry, you you said you want you want middle class people to to do well and and experience yes. prosperity in the stock market. Yes. And one thing I will say is it's now um, eleven Fed meetings in a row. I track this at my firm. Eleven Fed meetings in a row where the market has moved triple digits when the Fed announcement comes, and then triple digits the other way when Powell comes, <laughs> and then triple did then triple digits again when Powell's done. And that is that that is traders. That is right. traders. That is people is. that are undoing trades, trying to get in front, front run pal, guess what people are going to guess about what pal's going to say. That That's not a way for people to make money in the market. And that's they, they had pretty much priced that into perfection. I mean, there was almost <laughs> nothing he could say to drive the market higher, given the market had already run up so much in anticipation of the Fed even thinking about pausing. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times it, it, this is really just a perfect case of buy the rumor, sell the fact. I, re- I remember Greenspan in a testimony in the 1990s when he was Fed chairman, and he was saying all these highly ambiguous statements, and some senator said to him, uh, I'm not sure what you're telling us. And Greenspan's response was, that means I'm succeeding. Okay? And that's my attitude. Paul Volcker used to smoke those cheap cigars and blow smoke during the hearings and tell them nothing. I mean, I think the less said, the better. Let their actions speak for what they're doing. Don't. I mean, this game that they're playing, it started with Bernanke. It's a terrible idea. Anyway, i got to take a break. David Bonson of the Bonson Group, Jim LeCamp of Morgan Stanley. I'm Kudlow. Much more on stocks right after this. Back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back. Larry Kudlow here. We're talking stocks with David Bonson, Chief Investment Officer of the Bonson Group, founder and managing partner, author of DividendCafe.com, and Jim LeCamp, Senior Veep at Morgan Stanley. Jim, uh, is this stock market rally going to continue? It's been a heck of a year. What do you think? Well, yeah, a lot of the the issues that are going to be in front of us, Larry, would include, first of all, seasonality. 
uh, typically that time frame between early August and mid-October is when you get volatility in the stock market. And given the run that we've had, I would not be surprised at all to see that volatility. Uh, secondly, sentiment has gotten pretty frothy. You look at the positioning of money managers, which was way too light at the beginning of this year, and you look at sentiment in terms of polls like the American Association of Individual Investors, very, very negative at the beginning of this year. Now they're very bullish. Uh, positioning is very bullish. That all sets the stage for a contrarian reversal. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think we're up against it uh, in the market. Not only that, as David pointed out, this has all been multiple-driven, and at some point, you're 21 and a half times earnings right now. At some point, multiples will matter. Now let's look at the economic data, which really has been slipping. I know the GDP number was good. A lot of that was uh, automobile-related. But the rest of the world, we're seeing a European look at recession, China looking at recession, Japan looking at recession, and the money supply keeps falling, which mm-hmm. is leads mm-hmm. to a contraction of bank credit. Mm-hmm. Deposits are down. Tax receipts are down. As you mentioned, oil prices are up. So we've got, uh, we've got some economic headwinds, and we have some seasonal headwinds. Now, the charts are still there. I'm not telling people to go out and sell everything, but if they start breaking, you're going to want to take some money off the table. All right. Dave Bonson, sounds like you're pretty skeptical also. Yeah, but see, I have the advantage, Larry, of being uh, permanently skeptical about the index because I think it is so dependent these days on five to ten companies. And, you know, I like the idea of a diversified index investor, and I don't think you get that diversification anymore when Apple's a $30 gazillion company and Microsoft is a $20 gazillion company. You, those those five, six companies, you're not going to get S&P historical returns if they're not moving. Hmm. And so it just is – it's so hard for a stock picker and a value dividend investor. You know, we run $4.5 billion in a space that I'm now telling people to go to. So that's talking my own book, except for the thing is, I really believe it. You don't want to be in big tech right now. The multiples are too high. You want to be in cash flow generative investments. And then I don't, I agree with everything Jim just said, except for that very last part. Then I don't think you have to take money off the table. If there's volatility when you own good dividend growth, you can ride it out. You can allow those dividends to reinvest at lower prices and let volatility become your friend. So if you own the S&P index, what do you do? Well, I think that you really do need to be, you know, chipping away there um, or consider swapping a a cap-weighted S&P for an equal-weighted S&P, which is another way of just basically getting less big tech exposure and more consumer staples, more health care, more energy, more utilities. Jim and Camp, what do we do with bonds? 395 on the 10-year. I think it got as low as 330-something, but it has sort of been a range for quite some time. Do you do anything with bonds? Do you buy bonds? Uh, Yeah, the yield curve is still steeply inverted, and so I think you can buy bonds. Right now you can get good yields that I think you're going to be happy to have, and you don't have to go out very far to get them. You can get investment-grade corporate bonds right now uh, at Five and a half to six and an eight, depending on who the issuer is. And I'm telling you, if you're you're getting six on a corporate bond a year from now, I think you're going to be happy because I think you're going to see these rates start to go down. 
All right. Jay Bonson, thank you. Tim LeCamp, thank you. Terrific stuff. Folks, stick around right after the break. Money Politics with Liz Peek and Steve Moore. We'll be right back. I'm Kudlow. Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're going to do some money in politics. We've got Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist. We've got Steve Moore, Freedom Works, and Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline, and his radio show, WABC radio show, More Money. Following this show and many of these same stations, please stick around for more money. All right, kids. Uh, welcome back. Uh, Steve Moore, did you go to the rally in Iowa? <laughs> Hi, Larry. I did. What? And how was that, Trump, the Trump rally? That was fantastic. I mean, it's the first time Trump ever spoke for just 10 minutes. <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> Every candidate was uh, given 10 minutes, and Trump was fantastic. I thought, actually... Vivek was good. I thought um, I thought actually that um, Governor DeSantis did a good job. But, you know, then they have a big party afterwards and everybody was everybody went to Trump's party. He <laughs> stood there for an hour and 40 minutes and shook people's hands and took pictures. It was amazing. Wow. And did he mention uh, tax cuts in his 10 minutes? Uh, mostly he talked about how um, he is going to reverse just about everything that Biden has done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got it. I got it. No, it's probably a good campaign message. Uh, Liz Peek, I wanted to ask you, being the great mother you are, Joe Biden has now recognized the Ozark grandchild, Navy Joan Roberts. He has officially welcomed her back into the party. What do you make of that? Why is he doing that all of a sudden? (laughs) Well, look, even allies... Uh, at the New York Times have been clobbering him for what is obviously a disgraceful and really mean-spirited ignoring of Mm -hmm. his grandchild, Davy Joan Roberts. I mean, there's no question she's part of the family, and yet they have studiously, Jill and Joe, uh, and even Hunter, none of them has ever met this child. Hunter Biden has never met his daughter, which I find pretty Is that right? I didn't know that. I did yeah, not I mean, know that. This isn't a cold shoulder. This is a cold world that they have created for this child who knows, mm-hmm. apparently, who her antecedents are, who her father is and who her grandfather is. So, really, it's pretty despicable. And Maureen Dowd, as we all remember, wrote two weeks ago, three weeks ago, mm-hmm. about her uh, her view of this, her view of this ignoring of this child. And she was really – she ripped the president uh, to shreds about it. Saying, you know, he puts family first. Well, this is family. She's not first. She's obviously Mm. last. So Mm. I I think he succumbed to pressure, but it's not a very attractive uh, picture, no matter where you start and where you end. Why is he doing this, Steve Moore? You're a father. I mean, as you said, cold shoulder. Why now? Well, why is he now acknowledging the child? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I think it's just because, as Liz just said, everyone knew it was just so disgraceful what the family was doing here. And I think 
you know, look, his reputation has taken such a hit mm-hmm. in the last few weeks. And, you know, I feel like they're indicting the wrong guy in Washington. I mean, and, and I, by the way, I talked to a number of congressmen in just the last few days, and they think that this – and senators, they think that this impeachment is a very real possibility. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Um, uh, McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy was out first on Sean Hannity. Then he had his own little presser, what was it, Thursday, talking about an impeachment inquiry, Steve. Uh, many people, I had Claudia Tenney on uh, earlier in the program talking about it. They, many believe that they, you know, can't get a proper investigation or proper uh, all the evidence available unless they do call impeachment. Even that may be difficult because the Justice Department stonewalls. You know, but I know there are allegations, but the evidence keeps mounting. Will, will impeachment be a smart thing for the Republicans? Steve. Hello? All right, I'll switch to Liz. <laughs> well, I, don't know look, what I think it's, I, I think impeachment is always risky. We've seen that with Donald Trump, where actually support for Donald Trump grew because he was impeached on pretty spurious grounds on a phone call. And this really cracks me up to Ukraine's president wondering about corruption with <laughs> Joe Biden. Well, guess what? That was a pretty legitimate inquiry, it seems to me. But anyway, uh, impeaching President Trump did not help the Democratic Party. And I think I think it's reasonable for McCarthy to come out and say they're moving in that direction. I hope, Larry, that they have absolutely buttoned up this case before they go to impeachment, because Democrats and let's face it, a very powerful media majority is going to land on Republicans and say this is just revenge. This is just, uh, you know, they're doing this because of a quid pro quo. So I think uh, I think they have to be very careful here. But on the other hand, Republican voters, and you see this on Twitter all the time, expect the GOP majority to deliver. And Mm -hmm. one of the things they want to see is comeuppance, if you will, for Joe Biden. I mean, uh, it may be better, at least for a while, to just let the oversight committee work. Yeah, uh, and, exactly. And, you know, Comer, I mean, you've got Liz, Devin Archer now, uh, Hunter's best friend or former best friend, who was in the middle of all these uh, nefarious, crooked uh, deals. I mean, he could blow the lid off of this whole story if he chooses to. I, I agree. And he will be sitting down for a rec- I don't know why this phraseology is so important, but it, for a recorded conversation with the committee. The only thing that worries me, Larry, is he has already he has apparently will testify that there were any number of phone calls, over 20 phone calls hmm. to uh, Hunter Biden's business partners where Joe Biden was tapped in via a conference call. Hunter Biden would put the phone on the table, dial his dad, get him on the phone. But Devin Archer, I think, is also going to say he doesn't know whether Joe Biden was aware of the context or that he was aware that he was being sort of dropped into the middle of a business conversation. I think there's going to be wiggle room there. I think what's going to absolutely convict this guy is bank records and Mm -hmm. unearthing the LLCs and following the money. And I've got to tell you, I think the stupidest thing Joe Biden has done in office, and that is a long, long list to choose from, (laughs) is saying to a reporter, where's the money? 
Okay, let's find the money. Let's follow the money. And when it turns out that there were LLC payments paid into the Biden family accounts, we know that's happened, but also into Joe Biden's account or that money from, let's say, his daughter-in-law's account to his is highlighted, then I think there is really no question that Joe Biden personally benefited from the Chinese business deals, the Ukrainian business deals, et cetera. That's what they need to do. Well, a week or two ago, I had Jamie Comer uh, on the show, and he said they were really now investigating and searching uh, for various um, bank uh, transactions related to Burisma. That yeah. was their next step. And you're, you're right. I mean, you know, follow the money is a terrific uh, tactic right now for that committee. Actually, for all the committees. I mean, the IRS has a whack at that, too. But you're right. Follow the money. In, in a sense, that's the groundwork for any impeachment. They got to come up with, uh, you know, as much evidence as possible before they decide I- to impeach. I think that's true. I think the reputational damage can go on, notwithstanding whether or not they actually get to formal articles of impeachment. And I suspect they will. I think over the next six months, that's very possible. But again, I just hope that they do it. And I I give Comer a lot of credit. I mean, he is being ridiculed and debased by the left wing media. And he's just sticking to his guns and sort of plodding through this, despite, as you say, unimaginable obstruction from the Department of Justice. I mean, you know, I I find that pretty shocking. I guess I still believe that these organizations are honest, and I don't think any longer that they are. Yeah, they're not, Liz. (laughs) I know, but but isn't it horrible to admit that? When we grew up, they were, but (laughs) we're grown up and they're not. Steve Moore, do you think impeachment is the way to go for the House Republicans? Still no Steve Moore. All right, let's take a break, all right, and we'll see if we can get Steve back. Otherwise, Liz and I are going to talk about the energy situation, which is a very difficult uh, story. Uh, I'm Cudlow, Liz Peake, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, and uh, Steve Moore of uh, Committee to Unleash Prosperity and the radio show More Money. We'll be right back. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Cudlow Show. I'm Larry Kudlow. We are back with Liz Peake, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, and Steve Moore. I think he's finally shown I am up. Back. <laughs> Freedom Works committed to Unleash Prosperity Hotline and his radio show following this show. It's called More Money. Uh, Steve, I want to give you a quick whack. Uh, impeachment, good for the Republicans or not? You know, I, I don't really think that impeachment is uh, necessary here. I feel the same way with respect to Trump. I mean, look. We're going to have a uh, sort of a jury in the voters in November of 2024. And le- I really feel strongly about this. Let let the voters decide, you know, which of these two people they want and whether they believe these charges. And and so, um, you know, I'm very concerned, I think, as most conservatives are, about the weaponization of our justice system in Washington. And there's something really unseemly about a president of the United States indicting his run, the person he's running against. I mean, that's what third world countries do. Well, he wants to throw him in jail. Exactly. We're up to 740 years. So that means he can't run against him. I mean, the, the question I have for you guys is, 
could he could he uh, you know could he be president if he's convicted? I you know I don't know the answer to that, but you know is he going to be like the Nelson Mandela of of America and uh, you know because that's again this is what third world countries do they put their political enemies behind bars. Yeah, well, Joe Biden, third world country. Um, <laughs> let me move on. Uh, Liz Peake, you wrote kind of a blockbuster. I really like this. Uh, rising gas prices will torpedo Bidenomics, and you kind of walk through it. Now, this has come up a couple times during the show, but yours is really comprehensive. Just give us a quick overview. Well, look, we've had a pretty substantial increase in oil prices in recent weeks, and it doesn't really look like that's going to turn around anytime soon, and it's now translating into higher gasoline prices. So, First, why is it happening? It's happening mainly because OPEC plus, but really Saudi Arabia and Russia have decided to raise uh, oil prices by cutting output. Okay, that's one topic we can go back to because there's a reason both those countries obviously uh, are doing that. Not And it's not just to raise oil prices, in my view. Uh, the second part of the story is high gas prices are the number one thing that mm. correlate with Joe Biden's approval ratings. I mean, uh, higher gasoline prices last year completely side, uh, I mean, just knocked his approval ratings for a loop. And only when gas prices started to come down did he get up to around 40%, which is where he still is. But this is a very bad thing for Joe Biden. And particularly as he's out on the road, so to speak, it's sort of a metaphorical road. Uh, talking about Bidenomics and how great it is, because this is the number one thing that all Americans pay attention to. If gas prices keep going up, Bidenomics doesn't mean anything. And, and can I just add something to that, which is that, I mean, I think Liz is right on on this. And gas prices are going to continue to rise. I think you're going to see $4 a gallon gas based on what's happened to the oil price, because obviously oil, the oil price is what dictates the price at the pump. And, Larry, uh, beyond that, I don't know if you saw we had a little chart in the hotline the other day, that commodity prices are starting to rise yeah. again pretty yeah. significantly yeah. for the first time in a year. So this idea that inflation has been slayed, I'm not buying it. Gasoline up to 375 yep. nationwide. Yep. Uh, so it's up about 40, 50 cents. And, and, Liz, you know what I was really interested in? Uh, your last point in the article how Warren Buffett is investing in fossil fuels. He's bought Oxy and he's bought an LNG company. He's a pretty smart guy. What does he know? Yeah, isn't it funny how liberals love uh, Warren Buffett until he does something that they don't approve <laughs> right. of? Well, what does he know? 80% of the world is still reliant, and 79% of the U.S. power comes from fossil fuels. And mm. this, this mind leap that the White House seems to have embraced that we're going to pivot away from that to renewables overnight. It's ludicrous, Larry. And somebody needs to tell this. I mean, honestly, if there's one thing that should bounce Joe Biden out of the White House, it is this foolhardy rush to renewables and abandonment of fossil fuels. And that's why his approval ratings are tied to gas prices. Americans know yep. that since day one in office, he has declared war on fossil fuels did everything imaginable, including just a week ago, raising prices yep. on people trying to drill for oil. So what's the upshot? The rig count is down. Yep. Production is nowhere near where it should be. It is beyond stupid. Even Obama had an all-of-the-above strategy with energy. 
which Joe Biden has simply abandoned. Well, what they have is an all of the above ground strategy. So they don't want yeah. anything that comes from below the ground. Uh, Steve, but but Steve it's Moore, a big just... issue. And by the way, Larry, did you see the other thing I think was so interesting, uh, apropos of what Liz was just saying, is that uh, Chucky Schumer, your good friend Chuck Schumer in the Senate there, has basically had a press conference this week and said, if we run the table in 2024, we're going to double down. We're doubling oh. down on our green energy policies. Sure, sure. He's a great American. Steve, I don't know how, if you had a cold shower this morning because they banned water heaters. And in the name of climate change, they're taking away all of our creature comfort appliances. I just happen to have a little <laughs> list here. Gas stoves, yep. hot water heaters, shower heads, air conditioners, toilet flushing, light bulbs, gas-powered cars, cold-fired pizza, Washer, dryer, yep. dishwasher, mobile homes, refrigerators, <laughs> microwaves, gas furnaces, pool pumps, I can't heat my pool, battery chargers, dehumidifiers, and ceiling fans. I love my ceiling yep. fan. Right. They want to turn this into Europe. Have you ever taken a shower in, in a European hotel? <laughs> I mean, Actually, I, I'm one of, I like to take cold showers in the morning. I, oh, my kids think I I'm crazy. But you know, uh, look, Yeah, you are crazy. <laughs> Liz, is, you take cold showers. I like warm water myself. <laughs> but there's a serious point here. I want people to understand this. The death rate from extreme weather is mm-hmm. lower today than any other time in the history of civilization as a percentage of population. Now, why is that? Why are there fewer people dying from extreme cold? Air conditioning. Air, air conditioning and, and electric power. You know, yeah. you get heat in the summer, I mean, in the winter, and you get elect- air conditioning in the winter, in, in the summer. And they're trying to, t- there was just an article about maybe we're going to have to have rationing of electricity. This is very dangerous, folks. It's dangerous to your health. You ever try to flush a toilet in a European <laughs> hotel? Takes you about twenty minutes. I mean that's that's what they're. And the doing. worst thing is the showers too. You talk about the the water just trickles out yeah. of the shower. That's <laughs> you it. have to stand there exactly for ten minutes right. before you get right. wet. I like power showers and I like warm showers. But seriously, Liz, this is I mean this this they're jamming it down our throats. This is part of this sort of Biden. Uh, you know, big government socialism, top-down, central planning. They're just jamming it down our throats through executive orders. And I think there's, you know, people don't like this. People like their creature comforts. People like their appliances. They don't want to have to go out and buy everything new again, Liz. I mean, I think this is just a a political mistake, uh, and I think it just shows you how they operate. They Steve Moore, Steve Moore, Steve Forbes was right ages ago when he said it's modern socialism through the regulatory state. Yeah, and and it's really it just goes on and on. It seems to me every week there is another insulting infringement on consumer choice, consumer freedom. Yes, and yes. and I really don't think people like this. Um, the accumulation of all these rules and regulations is staggering. Uh, and by the way, of course, it is a slap mostly at lower income Americans who have to pay more for products that don't work as well and who are being told, you know, that, that this is essential. The other thing, Larry, I'd bring up, and I think this is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. I think Biden is destroying our auto industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't really seen the only way that Ford can transfer, can, can move to more EV production is if basically the state bails him out them out because mm-hmm. they're losing so much money on this EV switch and I think other co- I haven't done enough work on this I need to do more 
but I must say, I think it is really a horrific thing that's happening. Well, the, I would only add one thing to that, and that is that the those car companies like Ford and GM, they're doing a pretty good job of ruining their own companies. I mean, mm-hmm. buying into all this uh, yes. EV stuff. Yeah. And the only company that's going to be making real cars is Toyota. Mm. Yeah. Right. But, Mary know, Steve, I don't think they have a choice. I don't think they have a choice. Yep. I think the government threatens them yep. Yep. with taking away the subsistence. I, I just think, I think over time, American auto companies, and maybe those in Europe too, are really going to be sort of self-destructing. Yep. All right, kids. Thank you ever so much, Liz Peak, Steve Moore. Steve Moore has uh, more money on coming after most of these same stations after this show. I'm Cudlow. We will see you next weekend. Thanks, folks. Thank you. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.